0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of Reen Our Voice. I am your co-host, Robert Swatala, and with me, my co-host, Jeff Mazzone. How are you, Jeff? Hey, Robert. What's going on, bro? Not much. We are winding down summer. We just finished up the summer term, so congratulations on that. Yep. You certainly are very close with one semester left. I have two, so we mm-hmm. are getting down to the home stretch here. That's it. And... You know, I thought that we would do something. Well, we both thought. It wasn't just my idea. It was more your idea than my idea, actually. But we would do something different today. And um just kind of have a chat and so that our listeners can get to know us a little bit better. We've talked about that for several time now. And and I think now's the time since uh since we've been going strong here for oh geez, almost a year now we've been doing this. We're closing in on a year, so I think it's uh I think it's time. So I'm um, I'm I would say I'm excited, but I don't know if I am excited. I'm a little nervous, to be honest. Yeah, nervous with you. You, you're you're an intimidating response. interviewer, so Oh yeah. You know, so oh, I'm, yeah, so I'm I'm a little nervous on this one.
1: <laughs> so this this is actually cuz this is what we do. Dr. Kirk had this idea a long time ago that you and I should just have a conversation because it would be entertaining at at least and, you know, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, so, I,
0: I, if anything, I'm not sure how much information we'll deliver today, but hopefully we can at least deliver some entertainment. So, you know, if our listeners want to, you know, tune out at this point, we we completely understand. But, well, you know, we just hang there,
1: pull back the veil of who yeah, we are, if, if anyone actually cares, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, certain...
0: I think, I think the, the neat part and hopefully our, our listeners will hear is that, um. You know, God has orchestrated both of our journeys and we've mentioned that before. And, you know, I I always sit here in amazement just to think about, you know, how we didn't know each other. We had no clue who each other were, you know, prior Mm -hmm. to getting involved with CSI and obviously doing the the podcast and, and how he's used that relationship you know, Mm -hmm. to, to make an impact. And, and I think that's pretty cool. And, and I think we all have a story, we all have a journey and, uh, I'm excited to kind of talk about it a little bit today. Yep. Yep. Well
1: said, that's for sure. It definitely, uh, has made the profession feel more, um, tangible and the community of nearer instead of so distant and remote as is the common isolating experience of being an online student. Right. And. Oh, that was my tummy. Did you hear that? Boy, I'm hungry. No, I didn't. I didn't. Sorry we can <laughs> edit
0: that out, that little grumbling
1: there. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in there. Um, <laughs> well, you know, bro, that kind of gets us into today's uh topic, if you
0: will. Yeah. Uh how did you get here, sir? Wow, that's a that's a big question. Um and, and I'll try to keep it brief and condensed uh for our for our listeners. Um yeah, how long so, are we going today? How long? I, mean, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe half an hour. I think that's appropriate. Right. Maybe okay. I don't think we need to do a two part My story is not that that uh, interesting. Probably for two parts, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, so, as some know, and and I know you know this, Jeff, but some of our listeners may not know. I spent uh, about twenty years, a little over twenty years, as a professional engineer. So this is my my second career. And um, when I was growing up you know, that I was always interested in kind of the math and science uh, area. And, you know, engineering really kind of stood out. I don't think necessarily because of a passion, but I thought I could make a good living doing it, to be perfectly honest and real. Um, and I spent 20 years and, and was pretty successful and, and enjoyed it. And But my later half of my career, I really, I really found that one thing I enjoyed was coaching and mentoring and seeing other people um achieve their goals and and i'll, I'll share why in a, in a second but that really kind of opened the door to the thought of being a counselor um, along with some other life experiences and so um the seed really got planted probably about five years ago and then through some conversations with a professional counselor of my own um, the question was raised why don't you become a counselor and i said well engineers don't don't become counselors. I mean, that's just, that's, that's just silly. I mean, that's a, about as black and white as you can get there. And, emotions. Uh, yeah, emotions. emotions. What are that? I need, I need, I need uh, answers. I need one, a binary, you know, zero one, that type of thing. Yeah. We don't uh, operate in a gray. That, that. No, no feelings. What is, is there a formula for that? Uh, (laughs) but, Uh, but, um, I've always kind of been maybe out of a different mold of the engineering mold. Um, I can actually make eye contact with individuals and have a conversation, which to my engineering friends, um, that's not a dig, but just uh, the reality of it. And so, um, it's been probably about two and a half years ago, I guess I made the call to Liberty, just inquiring what I needed to do. And they said, no, you you can you can register for today for the master's program. I said, are you sure? And they said, yeah, absolutely. You you meet all the qualifications. And so that that's really what led me into it. And and it's been an an amazing journey uh so far. Um but behind all of that is really my own kind of personal story and what was really driving it, really the force. Certainly that's kind of the what people see and what people saw in this journey but but underneath that uh, is really my own kind of uh journey of healing which um was really the catalyst into into me wanting to become a counselor so ever since uh, uh, being a young child um I grew up in a very performance based home and where i felt love through performance so i i I always achieved to be the best best in athletics best in academics you know everything like that and so um that put a lot of pressure and i was never going to achieve that level of perfection which i thought i did and so, um, there was a lot of wounds through that feeling of rejection, uh, feeling of unloved What I didn't perform. And I'm not saying that that that's necessarily true. That's just how I perceived it. Mm-hmm. And so at an early age, I turned to, um, really coping mechanisms because I also lived in a family where we didn't talk about feelings. We didn't talk about that stuff. And we had a, I think the world's largest rug, uh, because it needed to be that big to, to cover up all everything that we swept underneath it. Um, so, so we, we, that's what we did. And and again, it's it's what my parents knew. They, they didn't know any different. It's just the, the reality of it. And um, I turned to coping mechanism. And, and that started mostly at the beginning with discovering pornography. And then uh, as, as I got a little bit older, uh, got into college, uh, the pornography continued. And then I found the world of drugs, uh, gambling, and alcohol. And as as i got older those pressures mounted because again i held on to those beliefs that i needed to perform and so as as i increased in level and and the things got more difficult in life whether it was academics or athletics um, i was bound to fail and fail more in in relative terms it doesn't mean i was failing but in my mind i was failing because i was not the best and so um seeking those those coping mechanisms that we talk about became more prevalent and what i found is they became more frequent and they became more compulsive and really they they became more dangerous um, at the end of the day uh the fast forward uh to marriage uh end up marrying my high school sweetheart and those Behaviors did not stop. Uh, I believed that they were going to stop. I thought marriage was going to cure everything. Um, obviously that was a lie that I told myself and they really carried into my marriage. And, uh, fast forward to about a little about five and a half years ago. Um, my wife, uh, for the second time, um, really just, um, kind of uncovered the truth, mostly related to pornography and, and sex addiction, even though in our world we don't call it sex addiction, but I'll use that term today, um, discovered it. And that led me on a journey of recovery, um, from, from that as well as just general, uh, recovery principles and really a life change. And we had, a a couple episodes on that in the past and, and, you know, what recovery is, has taught me is deeper than just stopping compulsive behaviors. It's really been transformational and through my own work with counseling and, and other individuals, um, sponsoring and mentoring, I've really seen the power of transformation and, um. And, and just watched how that life changed. And I wanted to be a part of that. And so, so you kind of put those two things together. That's what led me to, to Liberty. And here we are today. You know, it's interesting how so many
1: of these stories start with pornography. Yeah. Uh, and not just for men. I mean, even, even among women, just the early usage and, you know, it's it, for you, you know, those feelings of rejection and abandonment, it seems like if I heard you correctly to use my, counseling protection skills. That's good. Good work. Yeah. Five (laughs) Oh five. Um, that it it started like the pornography for you was kind of that initial coping mechanism to kind of deal with those deep seated feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I mean, in my own experience, you know, I was exposed to pornography around the age of 10 or 11, uh, really in direct response, uh, mediated through, a, a male in my family, um, extended family, uh, when my dad left, uh, when my dad abandoned our family, uh, when I was about 10 or 11, that someone suggested, I mean, he didn't even really suggest it, he just introduced it to me, like physically mm. introduced it to me, you know, mm-hmm. and, I was like, uh, and I don't know what that was about, but I became the kid that introduced pornography to all my friends, mm. you know, at that age. It's like, what, what the heck is that? I, I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, at what yeah. point did, Why does that become the thing?
0: You know, it's a great question. And, and I think, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, it's so accessible in our world today. Um, you know, you can't go many clicks on online for kids, whether intentionally or unintentionally without being exposed to it. So I think that the, the availability, the, the ability for it to be secret or anonymous is, Mm. is big and. And the other thing too is it it is almost normalized you know in culture today that um you should do that that there's a, a rite of passage if you want to call it that it's part of becoming a man and uh I know for me mine was um not necessarily given to me but I found it I found it in my house my my father actually had it in the house and I was I I just stumbled upon it accidentally but the first time that I looked at it there was the mo- the scariest, but also most exciting feeling that I that I've had experienced at that up to that mm-hmm. age. So it was that thrill, it was that that taste, that 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 little source of of temptation, and and also too, you, you add in you add a masturbation to that. Now you've created this numbing. Sensation oh, yeah. where I could escape from those pressures, and yeah. it was easy. It was something that that I could do secretively and um, accessibly, and I think that's the thing with with today with with pornography. And I think that also is is really opens the door, as you mentioned, to a lot of different things. Is because it's so accessible today, mm-hmm, I and mean, you mm-hmm. look at the statistics. The the age of first discovery continues to go down and down, and we're talking like eight, nine, ten year olds. That pre prepubescent that are that are discovering this and and just not having the, the emotional capacity to know about it and then you throw in you know individuals that may not have strong parenting that talk about healthy sexuality and what sexuality is for me pornography was my sexual education course that's what i believe healthy sexuality was so you know if there was no one there to correct that and so if you don't have that strong system at home um it's going to become it's going to warp the mind it's going to warp the behavior of sexuality something that god blessed us with and was this great gift for for between a husband and a wife now becomes quite warped and, and the enemy, I think uses sex because it's such a tempting thing Mm. to, uh, to kind of serve his agenda. It's crazy. You
1: mentioned that point because, you know, my own pornography use would have started then, you know, through not really into middle school, but high school definitely and into kind of like the first half of college maybe. And then, you know, pretty much was able to walk away from it, um, for the rest of my life. And then, you know, I met my wife, started dating, got married, whatever else, but when we got married. It was like all those years of pornography from many years ago, like that was my sexual education. So, yeah. you know, and I had, had been living a chaste and celibate life, you know, saving um, sex for marriage and especially with, with you know, Daniela as we were dating. So, you know, honeymoon, I was like, here we go. And, and my wife was like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, and I just had all these expectations yeah. based on all those years of pornography. That's what I was conditioned. And, you know, we talked about it later. My wife was like, it's like you thought that as soon as I got married, I was going to turn into this sexual vixen and I wasn't going to be like a human being anymore. Right, right. Uh, just like these really unnatural expectations of what my sex life was going to be now that I was married. Yeah. Based on that pornographic formation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it, it warps the mind on what healthy sexuality is. And and then for me, not only that, it it, it also... um it was also always there. So that's a thing too, is not only did it, did it give me a warped sense of you, but it robbed me mm. of, of that gift that only I should be giving to my wife, that, that sexual energy, that sexual intimacy was, was then used for pornography and, and other, other sexual addiction type of activities, acting out behaviors, where not only did it, then when did I not treat my wife in a sexually healthy way, but I, I stole from her mm. what was really meant for her. So it, it was both ends of that. So there was really never this, um, this connection that I think it was meant to be because I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't give that to her because of my war- own warp view, but also because all that energy was being expended on acting out behaviors. Sure. And, you know,
1: as you were sharing earlier before, just kind of the timeline of all that for you, another question I wanted to ask you is just, you know, what was that? The dynamic of getting into these kind of addictive patterns with substances or processes while at the same time getting into relationship with your wife because if i heard yeah. you correctly you all were high school sweethearts yep so she would have been there from the beginning like how what was that dynamic
0: yeah. like? you know it was it was hidden it was really mm-hmm. secret she she didn't she didn't know anything and and, and you know in the heat of our um issues after discovery you know she had commented that she felt duped you know that that i duped her that i never gave her the 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 option of whether she wanted to marry me for who i truly was and it was true because as an as an addict you become what I call a chameleon where you, you're able to kind of change colors depending on the situation and you get very good at it. So I was very good at, at hiding and manipulating and lying and, and, and just deceiving. And so even though we were together, one thing that I think um allowed for that is after high school we went to different different colleges um so we were apart so that allowed me some freedom and even when we came back together i was still able to to hide it and and you know there was this always this thought that i'm smart enough like you know she'll never find out i'm smarter than her you know and, and it's again it's just a lie i'm certainly not not even close to being as smart as my wife <laughs> any day of the week um It was only a matter of time. And so what that did is there was always a secret. There was always a wedge in our relationship. There was always shame, really, um, in in my eyes, that truly kept me from being close to her. And when I talk intimacy, one of the things that, that I thought growing up and even in early in our marriage, intimacy meant sex. And because that's what I believed it was, because when I craved intimacy, I turned to you know, sex. I turned to pornography or, or other means. W- what I didn't know is is in true intimacy is spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, non-sexual, physical touch that you're hugging and you know hand holding. And then when those are in line, it then becomes sexual intimacy. That's that oneness that's talked about in the Bible that God talks about. And and so I never knew that because I couldn't I couldn't be spiritual because there was shame there i couldn't be emotional because there was no way i was going to let her know everything that i was feeling and to me physical any non-sexual physical touch that to me was okay she wants to be intimate not not sexually intimate in her eyes but that's the only thing i knew intimacy to be so whenever there's there hand holding or hugging or anything i like got i thought that that was was okay that's the green light and, and that's mm-hmm. not what she was saying but that's what that's because it's the only thing i knew intimacy to be so you know It was hard. It was hard for us to really, truly be intimate. And we kind of just made it along, you know, we just kind of, I don't wanna say we were more than roommates, but there was never a deeper connection, but I don't think, I I think we both knew that it was missing, but she couldn't put her finger on it of what it was. I knew what it was, but there was no way I was going to let her know because I also had this, this fear that if anybody ever knew they would never love me. Mm. And so that f- false belief of my shame driving yes. kept that secret inside and so th- that there was always a wedge there. She knew something was wrong because she didn't have that co- connection. She couldn't put her finger on it. I knew something was wrong, but I wasn't willing to be open and honest about it because I thought that she would leave me um or not love me, I should say. And, and so there was always just a wedge and I just kept hiding it and it was just a constant deceit, which, you know, when you're trying to weave all the web of lies and deceit, there's amazing amount of stress and anxiety mm-hmm. trying to keep up with that. And so, um, what I found is that eventually over time, my job gave me opportunities to travel a lot and that also, um, allowed me more freedom to, to do things that I wanted to do in terms of acting out. And so, um, that really became a mechanism also for me to hide because she wasn't there, but even when she was there, they're still acting out. So it was, it was never, um, it was never an intimate marriage, a, a never open marriage because I always had lies and, and secrets and I think that's probably when she discovered and we went through counseling and and, and did a lot of our own work to, to to actually be where we're at today. I think that's one of the things that' stung the most is is the, the deceit and when we, when I deal with today even with betrayal spouses, partners, that's one thing that continues to come up. You know, it's not so much the act. Well, that hurts. That hurts. I think that the real knife wound is the deceit, the lie, the hiding. You know, I think that's where a lot of the sting is. And that's what I did for pretty much our entire marriage. And and now we'll be going on, uh, let's see, next year will be 20 years of, of mm-hmm. being married. So, you know, and I would say only within the last five has it really been a true, a true marriage. Because everything was exposed at that point
1: how did it all kind of begin to unravel
0: for you yeah um it was really god to be honest with you Mm -hmm. um so i i had been discovered um probably prior to that i don't remember the exact date or year um and we went to counseling and and i was able to kind of deceive my wife and, and the counselor to believe this was a a isolated instance, the one time thing. And um after that it it wasn't, you know, and I was able to kind of have her um believe that and have her get off the, the the trail, off the scent. And once things became, she became comfortable and normal, that's when I started again. And then January 3rd of 2016, I remember, that, I remember the day that, that, that could be, you know, to, I always remember the day actually, and I know she will too. Um, I was in the shower, got out of the shower, and she opened the door and she had a my phone, my old phone in her hand, and that was it she had discovered a text message from my partner that, uh, that I was having a a sexual relationship with. Mm -hmm. And, um, again, I tried to lie. I tried to, to, um, say it was an isolated thing and tried to, you know, gaslight her and manipulate and all these things that addicts do. Um, and then over a period of the next probably 30 days, um, God showed her clearly an old phone that I had, that I had hidden. Um, and she found it and that really opened up Pandora's box. And so, um, March or early April of that year, um, uh, we went to a intensive, a, f- a five day intensive, I'm sorry, a three day intensive down in Houston, Texas, which was, um, I won't say it, it, it cured us because it certainly didn't, but it laid, laid the foundation for us. And that's where I basically gave her a full disclosure of my entire history, mm-hmm. uh, which was extremely painful for her. And I backed that up with a polygraph exam so that she knew that um, that was everything, that was the truth. And for, for, that, for that time, that was the first time in uh, our marriage that we were actually truly intimate in the sense that she knew everything. Mm. And a couple of years later, um, three years later, we actually had a, a vow renewal uh, mm-hmm. ceremony, um, actually it was, we called it a redo because it was truly our first was, was probably not truly a covenant that we, we, we made a, She made it. I did not. True. And I, I asked her that, that later that night, I said, why did you stay? You know, everything, everything would have said leave. And people, her friends told her leave. And, and I don't think anybody would have blamed her for leaving. Um, and I probably would have left if I was in that situation. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I made a covenant that for, for sickness and health, I, I just didn't know what sickness meant and you were sick. And she said, I needed to know that I did everything that we could to make this happen. And, you know, and, and certainly there was actions on, on both of our parts. It wasn't just like a, you know, lightning bolt came down and You know, we were this beautiful, happy, married couple, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of painful nights, a lot of long, long nights, a hard road, but through actions, through recovery actions, her seeing me doing things that I needed to be doing, her having her own healing journey, it brought us together. And I would say today, you know, we get to experience the marriage that um, God intended it to be, you know, because there are no secrets now. And, And that's a it's a freeing feeling, you know, not to, to be living without wi- weight. And for her to know that 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 what I say is true, you know, that's, it's a pretty amazing thing.
1: It's pretty amazing just your willingness and vulnerability to share that yeah. here. So thanks for that. Yeah. And even in us talking, you know, there, we've talked about this obviously since we met, but. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just the details of it, you know, you just, yeah, you share it with such humility. Which I guess is something that you learned through the process. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and, and so that, that really was a catalyst to me wanting to become a counselor because I mm-hmm. saw that journey. I saw that the effect that my own counselors had on me and, and changing my life, you know, in, in the process that, uh, I experienced it starting by sponsoring people. Um, being a sponsor to them and watching that change and, and knowing that um, it wasn't me, you know, I didn't do anything, but just walking with them on that journey, you know, and I think that's so much of what we do as counselors, it's, it's not us that we do any healing, you know, we're just there as simply a guide sure. and often it's just that, that willingness to listen. And so um, even before becoming a counselor, um, it was just sitting with people and 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 just sitting with them in, in an extremely broken situation either one the the husband or the wife the, the the spouse or the addict doesn't matter um and just just understanding and providing at the deepest part of their life when they don't feel like there's any hope to provide a little glimmer of hope and and i can say that that's probably the one thing that kept me going. Hmm. I didn't know if my marriage was going to last. I didn't know if I was going to keep my family intact, but through it all, there was just a little flicker of hope that I hung on to. And every once in a while, God would give me a little bit of an insight, a little, little more hope that that flicker would lighten up a little bit more. And it was just like, okay, this is this is really hard right now, but there, there's something there. There's hope there. And even if it if it wasn't hope in my marriage, even if it wasn't hope in my family, it was hope and knowing that God was with me. And and that's mm-hmm. the other thing that this did is, is it really strengthened my walk. Um, I would say that I was saved, maybe in in words in my brain. I don't think I was ever saved in my heart until this, this came about. And that was really a radical shift in my life too.
1: Well, that kind of leads to the, kind of the last question I wanted to ask you. I mean, I
0: did that for you transition that that right on, right on the tee for you, you know, you're welcome. And I'm
1: terrible. I've never golfed in my life, but I will (laughs) try now. Um, (laughs) it's great. Uh, boy, oh boy. Um, yeah. How does that, story then integrate with your faith journey.
0: Yeah. So I was um uh, I grew up in a a Catholic church. Here we go. Okay.
1: Um, Folks, yeah, you don't even see a big you, grin on this guy's face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 but it wasn't just it wasn't the Catholic faith. It was um it was the fact, two things that really kind of had me go away from my faith at a young age. Number one was I went to church with my grandmother and my parents didn't go to church. And I thought, well, what's why? Well, don't, they, don't they love me? Don't they want to go with me? Hmm. You know, why don't they, they, they want to do this with me? And so there was that that was rooted. And then there was just a lot of questions that I had. Growing up, you know, I had that engineering. I wanted answers, right? That's how. That's how I was as a kid. I wanted somebody to at least talk to me about things that I didn't understand. Because, as you know, faith is is is. There's things that you just don't know, right? Mm. And but I wanted somebody to at least talk to me about it, and I never got anybody to talk to me about it. And so I I just didn't believe. Really, I, I, this is all. This is all just a, a fable, a, a story, a fairy mm. tale. And not only that, like I have to go. Why what's wrong with me? Why am I why what, what's and, and it reinforced that belief that I was broken, that nobody loves me or that I'm not perfect enough. All those all those false lies that I believed this is a child. And so I walked away. I mean, I went through the motions, I did the catechism, I did the confirmation, all those things. But by the time I could really make a decision, 16, 17, 18 years old, I, I walked away completely um and and through college uh there was no faith whatsoever uh it was completely a reckless life um partying drinking alcohol gambling drugs you know pornography sex you name it you know it was it was there and so um it wasn't until me and my wife um really were serious about getting married and, and I, we went back to the church and even then I, it was very much a superficial relationship um, it was talking about God. And then later on, it, it really, after my wife first found out, I think my faith became a camouflage. I could, I could hide behind this, this image of a strong Christian man that's doing all these things, not because my heart was in it, because it helped people keep, keep people off my scent mm-hmm. of knowing who I was. And so it became, it became a camouflage for me and it really took me being at the bottom of the pit, nowhere to go. My life completely in shambles, wrecked and to look up and finally see God's hand. And I remember the the day, um, I said, I, I truly believe I was saved. I was, it was shortly after, um, uh, my wife had found out we'd just had a an, uh, just a, just really intense argument, and I just remember being on the floor in a, in, in a fetal position mm. and just crying out, saying, "I I, I can't do this, I, God, I can't do this anymore." And it was that final surrender of of like, "Okay, I need you, I need your help. I, I'm I'm done, I'm done." Which is very much a first step thing, you know, admitting I'm powerless, and that's really what it was. And it was really through that that I found God. and I found comfort in God. I found peace in God. I found a relationship in God that I never experienced mm-hmm. before in my life. And, and that's where it really started to come from, that, from the head to the heart. And so I think that day is really when I became saved. And and I watched God lead me on this journey. And And the cool part is, you know, when everybody said, that's just crazy, you're having a midlife crisis to change careers, you have a great career, you're stable, you make good money, like, what are you doing? You know, and I'd start to question myself, God would open up a door. When when I went to my intensive, and, you know, of the amount of faculty, um, student or um, uh, Liberty faculty that we could be have, I have uh, Dr. Takas, who was on our podcast, you know, as my afternoon, and, and immediately he talked about his research and experience with pornography and porn sex addiction. I'm like, okay, God, I, I get it. You put me here, <laughs> you know. I mean, he could put me with any other class, right? And and I happened to be there, and I got to talk to him, you know. And Dr. Kirk, I remember the day she called me about CSI. And she said, do you wanna do this? And I immediately said, yes. And I said, wait a minute, I gotta to talk to my wife first. But, and I explained to her why I said yes so quickly, because it was another instance of of just watching God open that door. And, and I learned that I need to go through those doors and be obedient. And so um, I've watched him just continually open up those things as I've been obedient and I've had to surrender. And I just had an experience within the past month where I had to surrender essentially my wife. Um, she's right now over in uh, Uganda on a missions trip. And I've had to surrender that mm. to him and say, you know what, God, I know you'll protect her. And so it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I'm probably in a deeper relationship with God today than I ever was in my life. And, and it's truly because of the trials and and you know, consider it joy when, you know, you face trials of any kind. I hate that verse. I mentioned that on, on one (laughs) Mm -hmm. of the podcasts that we've had, but it's so true. And I've seen, I've seen God work in those trials and there is joy in them. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for that. You know, you mentioned before
1: about, um, just the role of counselors and how, you know, the Lord is the healer, obviously. And even though by the grace of our uh, baptism, you know, we have the same powers to heal right in his name, but I, I sometimes when I try to explain kind of the dynamic of counseling with people, I say that, um, the counselor is like the friends of the paralytic, carries the paralytic up on Mm -hmm. the roof and then starts tearing the roof apart and lowers the person right down to Jesus, you know? Yeah. And it seems like there's that line from, um, one of our textbooks about how the counselor is shaped by the Holy spirit, by life experience. Um, I've written down in my little prayer book and, um, I'll pull it up for you right now. The mature counselor is shaped by the Holy spirit and life experience to become more like Christ himself. And that's from the Clinton and Olschlager book, 2002 book we read in 500.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I just think your story has a lot of that.
0: Yeah, I I think so. I don't think I would be able to do this without having that life experience. I don't think I would have made that change. Um, right. God God planted that passion and, and it's amazing. And we hear it time and time again, where God will take the the worst, the hardest thing and use it for his glory, you know? And, and again, the fact that I'm able to now work with couples that are going through this men, that are struggling with this and, and get the opportunity to walk beside them. And it's tough to be honest with you. It's tough because I feel that own experience. You know, I, I do. I feel my 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 own experience. And I have to 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 really recognize that and realize that and and process that in a healthy way. But it's also strengthens my own recovery because I am able to sit with them. And mm-hmm. I'm able to kind of say, you know what, I, I know what that feels like. You know, not and and truly say <laughs> maybe not to them, but be able to express empathy in in a real, real way, but also to know that like that's a choice every day for me. I could go right back to that. Like and and so it's a day by day choice that I have to make. Do I want to choose I tell people it's, it's choosing life or death. And so when when I get the opportunity to get to counsel with these individuals, it's a reminder to me that you know my choices matter. Uh, they have consequences. And so um I need to remember that because I I, I remember those days very, very vividly and the pain that comes with them and it allows me to empathize, but also as a reality check that at any one given moment, I am not, I'm not immune from that. I still have that intimate in, in me, that flesh desire that I could go back in a moment's notice. So it, it also strengthens my own recovery and, and where I want to go with my life.
1: I love that piece. We talk a lot just in my circles about the, the grace of poverty, um, and how our self-reliance uh, often tries to lie to us that we are ultimately not poor, that we are self-sufficient and that every once in a while, the Lord, he just pulls back the veil by like <laughs> half a millimeter and we just fall on our faces mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the, the reminder to act from our poverty, yeah, uh, that's, that can be our greatest strength that it's not us. It's the power of God working through us and just not as counseling students, as interns, but as, as spouses, as parents, as friends, as followers, just in, in every moment, you know, we're, we've, we're faced with our poverty and how beautiful it can be when we embrace it instead of trying to run from it or numb it or distract from it. And I yeah. think your story is a great example of that.
0: Yeah. Thanks, just, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Sure.
1: So thanks for coming on and
0: keeping it real. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Keeping so, it raw, keeping nervous. it honest. I was, I was nervous. Nah, you're fine. You know, it's 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 not something that, that certainly I'm prepared or I'm proud of, I should say. Um, but I've also learned that it's not my identity. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. Is is while well, yes, this happened. I can't I can't change that. It's not my identity you know, I, I, I know what my identity is and, and it allows me the opportunity to work with individuals and continue knowing that, um, I'm not going to let that shame overrun me anymore. So yeah, by doing these things, it really helps. It's, it's very therapeutic to, to keep that shame from, from mounting its, uh, defenses against me.
1: Yeah. You're a great, you're a great example of the power of Christ's resurrection now, you know, and we prayed about that before, like, you know, heaven isn't someplace like later, heaven is now, right? Like we're living our eternal life now and we're living the power of the resurrection now. It's not just something Mm -hmm. we talk about at at Easter. And yeah, just the power of God's glory, uh, transforming pain and hurt and sin, you know, through the salvation power of his cross, you know, you know all about that, but it's just a great example, like such terrible pain and hurt and betrayal and abandonment and all that your wife has endured and even your children, you know, somehow God has, Need so much better out of that.
0: Yeah. My wife used the term, and, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this, um, the beauty out of ashes or mm-hmm. treasures in the trials. And I think that's so true. I, I think it's so, so true of, of what God's able to do. You know, it's not my doing. God has done all that. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and so I, I hope that this re- really resonates with individuals that may be going through, some, some hard times. I mean, we all have them. We all have those trials. It could be a little bit, look a little bit different, mm-hmm. but I hope that it, hearing this, you know, gives people hope and allows them to see that, you know, we hear you, you know, we understand that and, um, maybe they will take a little bit out of it. Yeah. Well, so, so, maybe, maybe so yeah, some educational component to that, Jeff, maybe not just <laughs> enter, entertainment, you know, maybe we got lucky. You're not as big of a dummy <laughs> as you think you are, that, my friend. <laughs> Nice, thanks. Um, yeah, just just real quick, I you know you, you mentioned that, and my my son always tells me that I wasn't really truly a, uh, an engineer because he calls me a, either a fake engineer or an average engineer because I don't think he grasped the fact that I actually had the knowledge or the capacity to be able to, to become an engineer. So you know, when you say that, it just reminds me of of that. So thanks for the encouragement. I appreciate that. You got it. You got it.
1: Um, <laughs> So anyway, folks, that's, that's it for today. Uh, Robert, I'll let you, you uh, wrap up, but um, we'll get back with our regular scheduled programming here in a couple of weeks, right?
0: Yeah, we do have a lot of great guests coming up through to really kick us up through the, through the fall season. You know, I just want to end with just saying thank you, Jeff. Um, this has been a blast doing this with you. Um, I, I, I appreciate the, the friendship and the mentoring that you've given me, whether you know it or not. Um, it's been an absolute joy. So thank you for the opportunity to do this with me and also for encouraging me to come on and, and share a little bit, because I don't think I would have, <laughs> you wouldn't have actually already scheduled me and put me down. So I, I was kind of forced to, so thanks to you for that nudge into the fire. I appreciate it.
1: Oh yeah, man. You, you come, you have become a regular part of family conversation around here. Like just <laughs> Robert this, Robert that kids say, Oh, Robert's
0: calling, you know, like, can you call me uncle, uncle Robert? yeah uh, since i am old (laughs) oh man yeah good all right thank you yeah thanks jeff thank you everybody you know thank you listeners um the feedback is great. I mean, it's very humbling, you know, when we get the feedback. Um, sure. We're just glad to do this and um, we're glad that uh, you guys enjoy listening to it. And if there's anything you ever would like to hear us do or have any comments, please send it our way. Uh, we would love to, to hear that feedback. So thanks for continuing to listen and uh, we hope that you will stay tuned. God bless everybody. Have a great day.